Well, Ozark Christian College, you made a big mistake today, inviting me to be here. Holy, the Holy Spirit told me to pray for that man having a seizure. You okay, sir? We love you. Don't worry. We love you. Well, I'm going to be honest. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be here. I, I always wanted to preach at chapel. It's kind of always been a desire. Now, some of you may think I would never want to preach at chapel. And I've always wanted to do it until I actually had to do it. Then I was scared and nervous and had to work on this sermon and terrified of just how I was going to communicate. I had a chance to preach at All Campus Devo when I was a student. And that kind of filled that void in my heart for the last eight years. And now I've been looking to fill that void again. And here we are. But I, I, I'm blessed and encouraged because I get to continue the Jesus Calling series, this ministry focused on leadership. And, and for most of you that are in this room, the reason you're at Ozark is because you felt called. And, and I, I remember being in junior high when I felt called into ministry. And, and it wouldn't be until a, a few years later. See, I grew up at a Christian camp through my junior high years. I heard amazing preachers when I was a seventh, eighth, and ninth grader. It was like CIY, but like all the time because I lived at camp. And I remember just being empowered by God to say, I, I know you want to be an actor and a comedian. That was my heart's desire. But God said no. And he says, I need you in ministry. So I did what any good Christian would do. I stopped praying. (laughs) Said, I'm not going to talk to you because every time I talk to you, you tell me to go into ministry. I don't want to go into ministry. I want to entertain. I want to engage people, make them laugh and feel good. You know, all I grew up with was with preachers that everybody complained about. Or preachers that would try to do amazing, remarkable things, but everybody had a strong opinion how they were doing it wrong. Why would I want to go into that? And then as time progressed, I knew that I had to submit. And I remember it like it was yesterday being in church and the preacher's preaching and he asked everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I just kind of did like one of these, "Mm mm-mm, not going to do it. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit told me in eighth grade to submit to his calling. I didn't know what that looked like. I remember just being terrified, but going forward to the, to the preacher saying, I think God's calling me into ministry. And he immediately, this little tiny Southern Baptist church, he had everybody just pray over me, hundred people. So we need to pray over Lido right now because God's calling him into ministry. He doesn't know what that looks like. As time progressed, I felt like God was defining what that looked like. And I felt like he was directing me in the, the location of being a lead pastor. Let me tell you what you don't dream of in ministry, being a lead pastor. Who wants to do that? They have to take all the garbage. I remember before I took my new ministry as a lead minister in Wichita, Kansas. I was leaving California, which was hard, but, you know, I was tired of, you know, surfing to school every day. So I (laughs) decided to go to Wichita. My my mentor, my lead pastor out in California, he's an Ozark grad. He said, Lito, things are going to be different. You're going to be responsible for people's salaries. You're going to be responsible for leading the church. You're going to be responsible for budgets and meeting those budgets and having expectations in the church. You're going to be the guy that everything falls on. He says, I know you can do it, but be ready. So going back to junior high Lito, if I could have a conversation with him today and tell him don't do it, part of me would. Because it's not just a small calling. It's a big calling. But I don't want you to mishear me because the thing is, is that everybody who chooses to follow Jesus has a big calling. 
And sometimes, even in Ozark Christian College bubble, which I love and appreciate, sometimes we act like we have some big responsibility that is better than any other Christians. You don't. You're a part of the body. You have a responsibility. But we shouldn't have this attitude and heart that says I'm better than anyone else in the church. Because I don't know if you remember what Jesus did, but he served the least of these. He got on his hands and feet and he washed disciples' feet. He washed Judas's feet. When's the last time you served somebody that wrote that nasty comment about your attire at church? I did it last week. And people will have these worldviews and they're awful, but you just have to push through. And I know that most of you probably experienced CIY and you saw some amazing preacher that probably was connected to Ozark in some way. Maybe a professor. And while you were like just wowed by everything, you know, you're walking kind of in this day. It's like, oh my goodness, I need to repent to be baptized again. There was a table off to the side and there was these college kids from Sawai and you were this cute little high schooler and junior senior and they, hey, did you like that preaching? And you're like, yeah, it was amazing. I just learned I'm a sinner and it hasn't stopped even after I accepted Christ. And they go, well, we're going to tell you how to be saved and sanctified. You want to hear more preaching like that? Come to us at Ozark. It's like they're drug dealers or something. <laughs> I'm going to tell you where you can get some more of that. (laughs) Okay. So you came to a Tuesday tour. Welcome for all those that are here. We will be your supplier. You have to remember, I grew up in the hood, so I can get away with that. You cannot. Um, But you got your $500 bucks off your tuition. And you thought to yourself, man, will I ever be able to articulate God's word the way DeFazio does? Will I ever be as wise as Shane Wood? And how is it that Doug Aldridge is from California but sounds like he's from Texas? Little side note, I remember being in Bible college here and I was sitting in class with Doug and, and Doug was telling people, he says, I don't know why we have all these pictures of Jesus with blonde hair, blue eyes. He's from Middle East or he, he looked more like Leto. <laughs> I wrote that note down. I said, Jesus looks like Leto. <laughs> he said it. But over time, as I remember the years of being here and being encouraged by my mentor, Dave Rutherford, to just go and continue to lead through college and serve in other ministries, I got to spend a summer in Memphis at an amazing church, not a part of our movement, but I learned a lot, and it was amazing. And then God opened the doors for me to go back to my home church, and I served there for the last uh, six years, 2010 to 2006. And I literally did anything and everything that needed to be done. They started out and said, Lito, you're going to be the outreach pastor. Like, all right, now you're going to be the children's pastor. And now you're going to be the next gen pastor. And now we want you to be the teaching pastor. And it was exciting and it was amazing and encouraging. But I can't help but go back to those days because I have to keep my mindset on Jesus Christ 
just as much as I did when I was that eighth grade junior higher as I do today. And then I get a call from some church in Wichita, Kansas that has a rich history on sending people to Ozark. I mean, you guys had a guest speaker here just a few months back, Rusty George. He comes from countryside in Wichita. Uh, Dudley, Dave, Rutherford, they come from countryside. Shane Phillip, who's at the crossing in Vegas, comes from countryside. Andrew Schwartz, who's an Ozark grad and here and serving in ministry with our team, he's, he's born and raised from countryside. And I knew there was something about that that got me really excited. Because I believe in our calling. I believe that there are times that God calls us to something different. And in leadership, we have this mentality and idea that we're going to get all the praises and accolades. Oh, it's going to be awesome. I get to preach all the time and write sermons. Yeah, but you're also going to be by people at their worst moments. You're going to be holding somebody's hand at their deathbed. People you truly care about. People that you only probably know for a short time, but God is going to use you to speak truth in them and love them and be there for them and try to build them up. And then there's going to be times in ministry where you're going to feel like you've, you're running on empty. And you don't know if you can do it. Uh, let me take you back. When I was 18 and 19 years old, I had these three kids in my ministry. I've got a photo of them right up here. You, you see these kids. It's uh, Tyler, Eric in the back, and then Jordan on the far left of your screen. And, and, and these kids were just so different than one another, but they were very close. And I remember taking these three kids up to a summer camp and just loving on them. But, but Jordan on the far left, he shared with me as an adult that he almost didn't stay at our church. He said, Lito, the reason that I kept coming to your church is you were the only church in town that would let us skateboard. All right, all right. Okay, good. You're somebody from 1998. Great, thanks. So glad you're here. It was a good year. Woo. And Jordan just shared with me just this whole story about how he didn't feel accepted in a lot of churches being a skater. And then I still remember, he had no knowledge of this, but having a conversation with several elders that said, we need to get rid of these skate ramps. They're gonna, we're going to have a lawsuit on our hand. we got to get them out. I don't know why every elder sounds like Steve Urkel. I apologize. <laughs> I didn't do that. All right, so they tell us no ramps, no rails. we got to get them out. And I, I had to kind of go up to bat and say, listen, if, if we get rid of those things, we're going to lose half of our youth group. We have to keep them. That's just the draw. That's just Jesus fed people. We let people skate. Let's do this. And of course, through a lot of prayer and trying to be wise and not trying to be a know-it-all, because guess what? When you're in college, woo, you think you know it all. Be careful. Humble yourself before God has to humble you. And it led to this conversation where they finally said, okay, we're going to listen to you, Lito. We're going to trust you. We're going to leave the ramps. And our youth group went from the nine kids I started with at a large church, but none of the kids wanted to go to the junior high group. It grew. And there were events. Sometimes we'd have 120 kids at an all-nighter. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? Some people say it was skate ramps. I think it was God. I think God made a safe, exciting place for our youth ministry, and it blew up. But let's go back all the way to the Old Testament. You see, the people of Israel got to a point where they wanted a leader that wasn't God. Uh, they wanted a king. And they wanted the right king in place. So they were, they were literally telling God, no, 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 we understand your king, but we want a real king. We want a king we can touch and see and feel. So over time, Samuel, God is using the prophet and priest of God. He brings forth the tribes and the tribe of Benjamin is chosen. And they pull out from the tribe somebody else and it goes down and dwindles down and the Kish family is there chosen. And then from the family, Kish Saul is chosen as king. They look around, Samuel notices 
Somebody's missing. It's time to present the king to everybody, but he's, no, he's not there. The, the Lord knows where Samuel is. The scriptures tell us that he has hidden himself among the baggage. I don't know about you guys, but there are times that I've wanted to run away in ministry, even in my most recent ministry. And I'm an extrovert that like puts on a brave face and I'm like, really like, let's do this. Like I'm, I'm pretty resilient. But it's one of those things, in all honesty and truth, there are times where it becomes so difficult, you need the right people around you. So I totally understand why this king would run away and hide amongst the baggage. And I love scripture. It actually talks about Saul because it describes him as being even a head taller than other people. You know, when I was a young kid looking up at all the preachers I had in my life, they were all over six feet high. And I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, oh, I can't wait. When I, if God, I mean, eighth grade, God's calling me to ministry. I'm going to be six feet tall. Yeah. At least. And then I stopped at like 5'11". I'm like, come on, God. Like, how, nobody's going to take me seriously. I remember it really concerning me. And I thought about how you got to count your blessings. And I remember, well, I'm pretty tall for Mexican. So it's pretty good. But I want to tell you guys that even uh, Saul makes sense to me running away. And there are times where I think God doesn't always let us know what's around the corner because he needs us in that moment to just trust him and move forward. He needs us to just be focused on him right in the moment. Because if you knew what was coming, some of you wouldn't even be in college right now. You'd be running out those doors. Because as much as there are those fears, God wants to lead you through them. You got to remember First Peter chapter two verse nine through ten, leading through this fear. But Jesus says, Peter, sorry, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has you in this very unique position of standing a part of the world, trying to bring people to him and standing with the church and trying to keep people from going that way. You're like right there in the gap, trying to love people. And it's so difficult and challenging that Satan is going to trip you up. You're going to mess up. But if you can just give yourself to God, say, God, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be obedient to your word. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. That's very difficult to do. Years ago, my kiddos were, uh, you know, a couple of years younger. We're in California and I watched some Dateline thing. And Dateline, they had this little uh, video that described how you need to talk to your kids about stranger danger. So I brought my kids in the room. It was probably like 30 minutes before bedtime. And I told my oldest son first, I go, man, I want to talk to you about stranger danger. So I walked through this whole journey of like what it meant, you know, if you meet somebody you don't know. And he says, well, dad, dad, there's no strangers at church, right? I, said, well, I wish that was the case, but sometimes there are. I mean, we came from a church in California with 3,500 people. There's a few strangers there. So I had to tell them just because they go to church doesn't mean that they're perfect. Doesn't mean that they don't have any scary parts of them that we don't want to influence our life. My youngest son runs in. He's like, Dad, what are you talking about? Like, he wants to hear stranger danger. So we go through the whole thing, and I show him that YouTube video on Dateline, and I show kids that, like, went inside an ice cream truck. I go, you can't do that just because they have ice cream. Even I want ice cream. And then my youngest son says, oh, we're getting ice cream? Like, what's going on? <laughs> but I put the kids to bed and prayed with them, and I come out. My wife, you know, my wife and I, we did not grow up in Christian homes. So it was one of those moments where my wife looks at me, and she says, good job, good job, Dad. Good job. That was a good win. So we're just hanging out and doing our own thing. And we hear a, ah! Stranger danger! 
and I got my youngest kid. He has flown, thrown himself out of the bunk bed. He's bleeding. He runs down the hall screaming. The other son is just weeping in the corner, holding his blanket. I try to what is going on? There's some stranger out that window. And I open the blinds and there is a car that has made a U-turn on our street and the light shined in their room. That's it. <laughs> they thought he was apparently going to get them. I don't know. So I had to, you know, calm them down, put them to bed, pray with them again, go out. And my wife looks at me and she says, had to tell him right before bed, stranger danger. <laughs> so my wife and I are relaxing, of course. Stranger danger, stranger danger. Kids are running around. I go, what is it? There's somebody out there. I open the blinds and then there's just happens to be some people walking with a group of people down the street. I go, they're not going to get you. You're okay. They're just walking their dog. Oh, okay, okay. They go back to bed. We pray again. I go back to my wife and my wife just, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do you think happens again? Third time. I hear screaming, stranger, danger, stranger. I run down there. My wife comes with me. There's somebody out there. There's somebody out there. I open the blinds and literally it's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. There's a guy there that's holding a lamp, several bags. It looks like it's Steve Martin from The Jerk. And he's walking in the middle of the road. He's holding a dog. The leash is dragging. He's like doing this. I'm like, what is going on? In her neighborhood. And right then, like only God would allow this moment to take place, the man drops his lamp and it shatters everywhere. And I'm like, stranger danger, stranger danger. (laughs) And my youngest son, Jericho, he says, dad, aren't you going to go help him? (laughs) God is wanting me to lead through fear. And this young little three-year-old gets it but I don't want to do it and right before I have a chance to get out there my neighbor across the street Ben Aguirre I had the privilege of kind of walking him and discipling him to the Lord he eventually started ministering to our family next door of his house and he started evangelizing and bringing the kids he says I got an empty seat in my truck get the kids in the car and he would bring them and led them to getting baptized he gets out there before I have a chance he doesn't have kids so he doesn't understand the stranger danger part but I quickly run out there. I go, what was that? He's like, I don't know, just some crazy guy walking in the street. God is going to take moments in our life where we don't necessarily know what to do and he wants to use them for his glory and it's usually through those fearful moments. We've been preaching on evangelism. The last year and a half that I've been at Countryside, we've seen over 50 baptisms. It's been awesome. We went from a church that was doing great, doing good, being consistent, but really ministering to the church and keeping them where they're at. Now we need to propel them to go forward. We need to propel them to not just be sitting in that seat, warming it up, but going out and being the church in the community. And we've been seeing this happen as we've been preaching on evangelism. I had this woman come up to me. Her name's Ruth Hodges. She said, Lito, I'm mad at you. I said, yeah, why? She says, I have never told anybody about Jesus, but your sermons are convicting me. So now I'm going to tell people in my neighborhood about Jesus, but I don't like it. God opened the door literally like two months later where Ruth in our church was having this uh, yard sale so they could raise funds for Operation Christmas Child. And we had neighbors in their, their, their area just kind of driving up and down. A lot of church people come and I went and did a FaceTime video there. Come on down. It's going to be fun. Sell stuff. I don't know why I'm starting to talk like a Wichita. Thanks, Aldridge. And then 
she sees me Sunday. She's a little, God just opened the door. God opened the door. I said, what happened? She says, well, we were cleaning up the yard cell and we had all these people. They were driving and they made all these tire marks on the curb in my neighbor's house. She came over and she said, there's all these tire marks from your garage cell. All the people in the Wichita seem to be here. What's, what, what are they doing here? Oh, well, we're raising funds for Operation Christmas Child. Let me tell you about it. She starts describing it. She's like, oh, well, that's nice. She says, I got a power washer. We'll clean up the, the, the whole tire marks in front of your area. I'm so sorry that happened. So, well, what church are you part of? She says, well, I go to Countryside. Oh, well, that, that sounds fun. Do you have a really old preacher that's kind of boring? Because we want to bring our kids to it. She says, no, our preacher's not boring. <laughs> and she invited them to Countryside. And then several weeks later, when she brought, she says, Lito, this is my neighbor. <laughs> I'm like, ah, yes, tire marks. I mean, (laughs) neighbor. God is trying, even in the scariest moments of our life, to lead us to be strong leaders. We need to move forward. We need to stay focused on leading them. We also need to lead with support. You know the story. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, instead, he poured it out to the Lord. God forbid that I should do this, he said. Should I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? Because they risked their lives to bring it back. David would not drink it. I don't know about you guys. I hate water. I've always been a soda man. Don't really care for coffee. I love Pepsi. It's like an addiction. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But in California, growing up, there was this one neighborhood next to my wife. I was dating my wife when we were 16 years old. And I'd ride my bike near her house. And I would stop at this one gas station that had literally the best soda I've ever tasted in my life. I mean, it was good. The carbonation and syrup mixture is just perfect. Even when I visit California, I tell my wife, I've got to go stop and get my soda. And I stop and get my fountain drink there. But I just remember, just that's the only one I prefer. And I think about David, how he grew up in this town, and he had a well that he preferred water from. Uh, Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you're kind of a soda snob like me. And and David just mentions to three of his guys, oh, that somebody would get me some water from the well in Bethlehem. Now, you have to remember the Philistine army is surrounding it. They're in there. There's a garrison of people that they have to go through. It must have been like a scene from Lord of the Rings where they just battled through all to support somebody's desire for water? It seems so simple. Very simple. I remember when I was a kid, I remember going to visit a church and there was a girl coughing throughout service. Coughing, 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 coughing. And we were just visiting the church. And my mom got up, she said, stay here. I was probably 10 or 11 and she went to go deal with that. I don't know, she just beat up the kid. I don't know. But I remember after church, this beautiful girl with Down syndrome came up to my mom. She said, thank you for that water. Thank you for that water. I remember being a student at Ozark, and this isn't me. This is just what I learned from my mom. I remember sitting in the class with Dave Smith in the missions building, and there was a girl on the other side of the classroom coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And I remember just getting up, going to get a cup of water, and I walked to the other entrance of that room, and I gave her water. I came back, I sat down, and Dave said, Lita, what did you just do? She's coughing, I got her water. And we were studying Acts. 
And I remember Dave Smith said this, and it's not to my ego. This is just a moment that I want to share with you so that you would be doers of the word. And he said, I don't have anything else to teach today. We need to serve one another. And there are times that they're the smallest things in the world. There might be times you do a hospital visit on Mother's Day. Uh, There might be times where you serve somebody when it's a little less convenient for you. But when you do those things, it will allow people to trust you and want to follow you. David was a leader that the mighty men could follow. So when he takes that water, he doesn't just take the water and say, thanks guys, and drinks it. No, he pours it out. He pours it all out to say, I can't drink this. You were willing to sacrifice your lives to love me, to meet a need of mine. Not even really a need, more of a desire. He could have had water anywhere else. And yet, if I could be honest, I'm 34 years old, so sometimes I get put in that millennial group. (laughs) That's weird. And um, (laughs) you have to know things about your generation. You have to know who you are, and you have to understand how the world views you. A lot of times in church or, or college ministry, we talk a lot about know your culture you're going into, but understand the perception people have of you. Because if you can go above and beyond and go the extra mile with people, they will follow you to the ends of the earth. And our objective is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Our objective is to guide them in a way that is encouraging. i got to read this from the book, Designed to Lead. This kind of been an encouraging book. I just found it on my desk one day. I don't know how I got there. I was like, oh, that's perfect. I can read this. Somebody dropped it off at my office. Still don't know who it was. I don't know if like Jesus sent an angel. Touched by an angel with this book. All right. Now, we don't believe in angels at Ozark. Move on. Jeez, calm down, people. It's a joke. Woo. You've done well. You've done well, professors. They're going to study that word very clearly. All right, read this from uh, his book, Transforming the Culture and Design to Lead. It says this, We struggle to admit something is off or wrong in our cultures. For many, ministry success is the only acceptable narrative, and the demand for it has been fertile soil for the pride that has plagued leaders longing for or envious of ministry celebrity status. But if we are able, if we are, if we are to be churches that train the very best leaders, we must put our egos to death. Can I say it again? We must put our egos to death. For the leader who longs for the church to repent, change often begins with the leader's repentance. Rusty George said it several uh, months ago, I think it was January, February, when he preached here, and I just love listening to Ozark Chapel sermons. It's that, it's just something I do. And Rusty said it best. He says, if you're not dealing with your sin now, you're going to struggle with it throughout ministry. If you've got an ego now, you need to put it to death right now. Because I came from California where, I'll be honest, Churches kind of have a weird celebrity status to them. I get to go back to my home church in uh, last December. I've been back there like four times, preached about three, and I get to go back in July. I love it. But when I come back, people remember me totally different than the truth. I mean, they go, oh my goodness, Lino's here. Ah! (laughs) Selfie. Now, don't get me wrong. I do like selfies. (laughs) But there's going to be a constant battle that we have to have to make sure that our ego is not the focus, but we are completely focused in a way to lead people to follow Jesus. Leadership wanted to update our lobby and our church. Sounds like a small enough project. Our church is debt-free. We're excited. We're proud of that. I went to the church and I said, man, we, we want to try to do this with the cash of the church without having to take a loan. 
Church started to get behind it. And then December hit and we lost this big old heating unit in our youth building. It wasn't cheap. We had to make a decision. Will we go ahead and put a band-aid on it? Will we spend a lot more money and just fix all the units in the youth building so the kids didn't freeze to death at church? And then, of course, I was like, oh, man, they're going to think that we're not following through with the lobby redesign because we got to spend money here. And I just made a video to communicate clearly. I said, guys, sometimes a church is like running, you know, your finances in your house. Sometimes you have that objective to accomplish this task, and then something else comes up. But we're going to have to kind of put off this lobby remodel. Our goal is only three weeks. I was shocked when the church got completely behind that and started giving more money. I don't know what to do with this. I guess we can do both projects. (laughs) So we moved forward and redid our lobby. It's a small thing. It's not the end of the world, but the church really got excited about it. We shouldn't hide anything as leaders. We're living in a culture where we have to be very protective who we spend time with. And I even challenge you this in college. Try not to be alone with the opposite sex. Unless you're married to them. That's okay. I was 18 years old and my wife and I started working at this church in California and we had to talk about our relationship and we said, we can't be alone together. We're just both too hot for each other. This is what it came down to. (laughs) And I told my junior high kids, I said, I want to be a virgin when I get married and I want you guys to be proud of me. So for the next four years until I finally proposed to my wife and we got married, we weren't alone together. It was annoying. It was inconvenient sometimes. It was the best decision we made in our dating relationship. You need to be transparent with people and have that trust with them. I met a family that just was in our church and they didn't want to really be involved, but we heard about their son, Colby. He was in the hospital. And Colby's just this five-year-old kid and he's got leukemia. He's fighting for his life. And I remember visiting him and his dad just kind of gave me the cold shoulder thinking, oh, you're just one of these preachers that's going to come in, pray over my kid and leave. And I came in and I started talking to the family and, and, and Paul, Colby's dad, started saying, yeah, you know, Colby loves Power Rangers. He's just a big fan of Power Rangers. So he starts describing all that to me and I'm like, well, does he get to like watch it? Does he have movies? Can we get him some DVDs? And well, he had a laptop he was watching him on. But one of his sisters, Colby's got four sisters. One of them stepped on the laptop like in the car, got to the foot floor and stepped on it and cracked it. I was like, ah, oh, man. So I finished meeting with the family, praying with them. The mom was very, you know, kind. But dad just kind of had a, just a stern expression and heart and attitude. Very calloused. Watching his baby boy struggle through this. And I went to our tech team and I go, do we have like a laptop that we can just give away? Let's find a laptop. I mean, we got this kid Colby in the hospital. What can we do for them to just love him and care about him? So my tech guys were like, we got it, we got it, we could do this. So the next day they call me, Lito, come here, come here. I come to the office and they got this awesome laptop and they've like just decked it out. You open it, and it starts the Power Rangers music. You hit enter, passcode, wallpaper, everything is Power Rangers. This is the greatest laptop that any child would get. He even had it where he could just click a button and it would take him to the videos to start watching Power Rangers. I'm all, you guys are awesome. I go, we got to get this to Colby right now. He's still in the hospital. They go, can we go too? I go, of course you can go. Get in the van. We got the church van. Felt like Batman Robin. It was awesome. We came in and we had the laptop. We gave it to Colby and Colby was just overjoyed. He was weak and he couldn't show a lot of joy, but he was overjoyed. And I slowly watched his father's heart soften towards me, towards the church. 
Several months go by and I would pop into Colby's house and Colby had a bunch of medication and he was on oxygen tanks and a list of other things and I drop off superhero movies with him and I started developing a relationship with his sisters and just continued to love the Jackson family. One day, it was Father's Day, I got invited to go to a friend's house, I mean late, 11 p.m., going into Father's Day. It's a Saturday to Sunday, I know, I wasn't preaching so I didn't care. And I'm holding my son Jericho in my arms while I'm watching Lethal Weapon 4. (laughs) You have to understand, my friend in California, he has like a movie room to put other movie rooms to shame. And I'm watching it and my phone is going off, but it's vibrating. I don't see it. Lito, you got to get to the hospital. Lito, you got to get to the hospital. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. I don't, don't even notice it. Finally, I put my hand on the armrest and I see that I've been called by an elder like 30 times. I call back. Kobe's dead. They need you to get to the hospital. I rush down there. I get to the hospital. Right when I walk in, his dad sees me. He just kind of pushes me to the side and he bolts out the door. I walk inside. I see the daughters. I don't know what to do other than what happened. It's a long story, but Colby passed and they were terrified. They didn't know what to do. Dad was gone and the four daughters were there. Mom was in the back room just holding her baby boy. He's now six years old. And I had to take each sister, one at a time, to say goodbye to their baby brother. I held their hand. I was there for them. It was one of the most difficult experiences of my life. They don't prepare you that for Ozark. They can't prepare you that. It's not possible. You don't know until you just start doing ministry when you experience these things. I had to preach for his funeral. I had a dear Ozark friend, Scott Ronemeyer, help out, leading songs that I can only imagine. And I probably preached the most evangelistic sermon I could ever preach in my life. Over the next month, all four sisters got baptized. Eventually, Paul, the dad who had the most calloused heart, he wanted to follow Jesus. Because I decided to just love this family and be there for them. The greatest part of all this is they still wrestle with a lot of emotions. But this last Sunday... In our children's ministry in California, the person leading, leading the children's lesson was Alexis Jackson, one of his older sisters. And it just doesn't happen. You have to be a servant leader for people for them to want to follow Jesus. You have to do something that goes out of your comfort level if you want to see success in your leadership. And I don't want you to paint this picture that success doesn't come with some baggage of, of, of trials. The non-success moments, the failures, because they do, it's, there's a lot of those. But the idea of leading for success, I think, is, is identified very clearly in 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It has become of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Your successes are not your successes. They are God's successes. Amen? So anything you do, it needs to be God's. And I know that there's so much challenge in doing ministry 
there are, for every kid that I can think of, is like, wow, I'm proud of you. Look at you go. There's about 10 others that I wish I could have done a little bit more with. And you're going to have to be comfortable with that tension. Last month, my wife and I went to Winter Jam. And we saw this kid leading worship. Big stage. Right there in the center is a guy named Jordan Felice. Everybody know Jordan? Down to the river, singer. Jordan was my junior high student. I'm amazed at what he's accomplished. He is the most humble individual you ever met. My wife and I got to hang out with him and talk. And he just said, Lito, I just can't believe this is happening, man. He was the same kid that we had to fight for skate rails in our church. That was the same Jordan. And once again, Jordan went off to go to a different church and youth ministry, but we still have a great relationship. Trying to get him to come to the Creative Arts Academy, but it may not happen. And Jordan just has a heart for the Lord that you wouldn't believe. He's, he's led worship in our hometown out in California. He's done very well for himself. But what motivates me is not just the kids that you go, wow, look at you serve the Lord, because he is reaching people. His music, most people hear three, 4,000 times a day because of K-Love. <laughs> Whether or not you want to hear it. But my kids and I have a fun game. We turn on the radio station and, and we see if we can find Jordan. And man, my kids light up. Jordan, yeah. But it's just as much as I get excited about those kids that are doing amazing ministry. I want to seek and save the lost. I love Jordan. I think God has done amazing things. And there have been other influencers in his life that have helped him in his journey. Uh, But I want to challenge you that God is trying to use you to do something amazing through your life. One of you may be the future Ozark Christian College president. Sorry, Matt. But God needs you to be that leader today. I mean, I had a lot of friends when I was at Ozark. Man, what would they do on Sunday mornings? They just sleep in. I don't need a weekend ministry. I don't need to serve. No, you need to serve, church. You need to serve. If you're not serving now, ministry, full-time ministry is going to be that much more difficult. And some of you, God's going to need you to lead in your marriages. You're going to be tempted to walk away from your marriage. And you need to remember that you need to love your spouse the way Jesus loves you relentlessly I'll be honest there are times that marriage gets difficult ministry gets difficult Jesus is calling us though if you want to lead others to Christ then you yourself have to be led by Christ if you want to change this culture it's like that three year old girl who grabs the phone she goes ring ring and she hands it to you what do you do you go hello you let you answer that phone that three year old has your control Jesus needs to have that control over your life this series that you guys have been going through has been amazing. I've been so proud to listen to Randy and, and I graduated with Morgan and listening to Doug. It's just powerful stuff. If you're supposed to leave, Jesus is calling you. He wants you to be that prayer warrior and you need to be that prayer warrior in ministry. You need to be somebody that can shepherd the people of your church. You also need to shepherd your family. Don't forget them. And we need to remember that Jesus is calling us to teach. And some of you may not go into full-time vocational ministry. That's fine. But every single day you have opportunities to teach. Every single day I'm looking for those wins with my children because I did not grow up in the church, but I knew a lot of PKs that went on the deep end. And I do not want to have that happen with my kids. So we talk about Jesus all the time. We talk about him all the time. And my wife and I 
did not have that as children growing up. And we want to make a different legacy for them. If all four of my kids said, Dad, we want to go to Ozark, I'd be all like, I'm paying for it. Let's do it. Let's go to Ozark. Leading when you're scared is okay. I've been doing it for 18 years and I'm still scared. It means leading where people want to trust and support you. And it means being a leader that they can trust. I don't want to mention any other churches out there, but, you know, we're always going to have cultures of some, you know, risque thing. And sometimes, man, the enemy is just making stuff up. Scriptures teach us, though, that our life, our, our attitude, how we live out, it should be put to shame because of the integrity we have. That other people go, oh, man, I can't believe I said that. You're right. You're awesome. But you need to trust the Lord in that so that people will support your ministry and you need to lead with one goal in mind. One goal, if you want to find success, seek and save the loss. I love you guys. This is the greatest joy for me to be here with you. And I want Countryside to be a church that doesn't just support Ozark financially. I want to be a church that helps raise up interns that want to follow the Lord. That's my future vision. Countryside used to have that reputation some years ago. And I want to bring it back. I can't pay all of you, but I'll accept any free interns if you want to come. (laughs) But honestly, we do care about you. And I pray for you every single day. And if you've got a struggle, if you need help, you need encouragement, email me because I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you. God, your, your word is so beautiful. It's so true. And God, I pray there are so many leaders in this room. We don't have to just lead in a church. We might be leading our families. We might be leading in a team at our work. We might just have a small area of influence, Lord, but we're all called to be ambassadors for you. And God, I'm grateful for this school. I'm grateful for its mission, its laser point focused mission to reach the lost, to make the name of Jesus famous. And God, I pray that these people, these students, these young people would go out and be the next generation to start a movement that will change everything. We need to see everybody know the name of Jesus. We need to reach the far, farthest areas for the gospel. So God, go over them, be with them, Lord. We thank you and we submit ourselves to you. We are not dismissed, Lord, but we are sent out. Amen. Love you guys.